As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us in the studio today, it is The Times chief sports writer and VAR cheerleader, Matt Dickinson. Also with us, the digital sports editor for The Times and The Sunday Times, Tom Clark. Coming up, we're going to discuss the future of Eddie Howe. We'll ask whether it's okay to deliberately get yourself sent off if it saves the game for your team. And we'll see how long we can put off mentioning those dreaded three letters, the A-R. But let's start with a positive. And one man dominates the headlines today after a record-breaking afternoon for the one and only Sergio Aguero. The front page of the game today reads Goal Machine Aguero with an image of City's star striker bagging his hat-trick against Aston Villa yesterday in a 6-1 rout. It means Aguero now has 177 Premier League goals. That's more than any other foreign player. And his hat-trick at Villa Park was his 12th in the Premier League. And that is more than any other player. Player. He is still 83 goals behind Alan Shearer's 260 Premier League goals, but is just 10 shy of Andy Cole's 187, which would put him third on the all-time list behind Shearer and Wayne Rooney, who has 208. The question is, where does Aguero then rank on the all-time list of Premier League strikers? Matt, where would you put him? Ooh, if we're talking all nationalities, he's he's up there, but I think you know Shearer not just... Um... For his goal rate, I was lucky enough to see him when um, I covered Blackburn in their glory years, and there were times when you just was you'd see him pick up the ball and just knew he was going to get a goal, even though he was he could still be thirty or forty yards from goal. Mm. But just the way he, there was a certainty about him. Those low drives from twenty twenty five yards that I think he probably. I'd, I'd love to see the statistics, but I suspect he got more from outside the box than than Aguero. And if you factor in if he had gone to Manchester United at any uh, time, whether it was before the Blackburn move when he was wanted, whether it's after the Blackburn move when he's wanted and went back to Newcastle to his hometown club. But if he'd have joined Man United, who obviously were were so dominant at that time, he probably would have got another 50 to 100 goals. So I think for all those reasons, Shearer has to be the top okay. um, for me for across the Premier League time. But to be ahead of someone like Thierry Henry for Sergio Aguero is a phenomenal achievement. Well, he has beaten Thierry Henry now in terms of goals. 175 Thierry Henry has in the Premier League, 177 now for Aguero. Would Henry be above Aguero, though? In your list, um, well, I think for his, uh, you know, on the aesthetics, we were talking about it. Um, I mean, I think for consistency, Aguero is is staggering. I think you know, and he has scored one of the iconic Premier League goals. Obviously, <laughs> um, uh, that 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 goal to to clinch the the league title. Um, so you know, it, he he ticks so many. But he scores at both feet. Um, I think a crucial thing. I was thinking, you know, there's been a probably a sort of five year span of the Premier League where he was probably the one player in our league that you thought would be coveted by any team, whether it's Real Madrid at their best, whether it's Barcelona at their best, you could instantly see him slot into any of the best teams in the world. But I think for aesthetics, I'd probably... My heart ends up going with Thierry Henry just because of the way he moved the, some of those goals, the beauty of some of his runs, mm. um, and that brought a slightly different sort of versatility to 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 to, to Henry and to that Arsenal team. That yeah, I, I find I find I'm drawn to um, <laughs> fractionally more than even than Aguero's incredibly uh, prolific rate. It is hard because we're comparing strikers who are different in, in their styles, but Tom. Matt has gone for Alan Shearer as his ultimate Premier League striker. Do you agree? Uh, no. Oh, 
Go on, Henri all the way for me. Um, <laughs> I think he changed the Premier League. Uh, I'd never seen anything like him when I was watching it, watching him play. Um, I think he had everything, and I think when you're considering uh, strikers in the Premier League history, you look at overall ability, pace. I think he was a lot stronger than people give him credit for as well, Thierry Henry. I think he could rough it, you know, with teams lower down the league, and he was just incredibly special. I think Matt's point's an interesting one when you look at the three strikers we're talking about. It, I don't know whether it's just circumstance, but Aguero hasn't ever been linked or particularly strongly with a move away. Henri obviously left to join Barcelona, um, potentially could have left during his Arsenal career for the big money big money moves at other times as well. I mean, I think that is an interesting point with Aguero. Would he get, would he get in the great teams of Barcelona, Real Madrid, elsewhere out of the Premier League, like Henri undoubtedly would have during his time um, I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt obviously also talks about Shearer being te- wanted by United. I think that's a, a very valid point. I mean, you could argue that counts against him because he should have gone there and won a load more titles and scored more goals. Uh, if you're that, if you're really ruthless as a striker, surely you uh, surely you make the, make the move that's going to get you the most goals and the most. Uh, Oh, sentimentality goes out the window for you. No no interest in (laughs) sentimentality, particularly if you're going to be a Premier League striker. Uh, Henri all the way for me, um, and I'd put Aguero second. Ooh, okay. And Shearer third? Yeah. Okay, Gregor, does Aguero top your list? I think he does, I think. Does he? Okay. uh, I think Alan Shearer would be the only only player I would say is kind of, could be above him. But I'm going with Aguero because I think... You know he's missed. He missed a lot of football. He's often he had some injuries, and he scored a goal every 106 minutes. Only he was 121. So he's a, a striker's job is to score goals. We can talk. You know we can talk about how graceful Terry Henry was to watch, mm-hmm. um, and Shiro was just ridiculously lethal as well. But I think the way Aguero takes his chances, <laughs> just as if he gets if he's played through on goal, it's a goal. There's no, he's so powerful, so kind of squat and explosive. Um, it's been interesting hearing people talking about him over the last uh, last couple of days. Lescott saying that he's kind of Julian Lescott, his former teammate, saying that he, he just concentrated on striking the, the centre of the ball every time, and you can see that in the way he shoots. He, the goal, the famous goal, the Aguero mm. moment. Imagine the pressure. Mm. Imagine the rush of blood mm. at that moment, and he. He has that kind of ability that the best strikers do to kind of slow down time, be so cool and calm, and just rifle the ball in at the near post. Yeah, I mean, Henri had that as well. Henri had that as well, and I think Matt's point about his, you know, his grace and his French flair, and it almost counts against him. I think with Henri, <laughs> when you're considering that kind of deadly, you know, striker quality, um, you know. But I, th- you, but I think equally, you know, Shearer, um, and uh, you know, over a long period, but there was, you know, Shearer, there were, there were. You know, particularly a few seasons. I mean, he was prolific across a, a, a long time. But there were, I say, I think there were a few years, and particularly, I say, I, I remember watching Blackburn week after week, and it was it was breathtaking the reliability of you know you of his shooting from from any distance. He wouldn't just you know he, it could be headers, it could be five yarders, but even from say twenty yards, you just he would get the ball, and you just knew that ball was going to fly into the bottom, either bottom corner, top corner. It was just. It, it, it was almost sort of robotically um, accurate, um, and so it's interesting. Isn't it? I mean, the passage of time, you know, you sort of think, well, is it, yeah, it, has the game where, changed uh, a bit too? You know, is the yeah. Premier League more kind of more competitive now than it was when Shearer was playing? Well, although it'd be a chance, you know, chance rate. I mean, obviously Blackburn did not dominate games with eighty percent possession like Man, Man City can, and I'm not mm. saying that to to. to undermine Aguero's rate at all but um, you know I don't think you know again I, I, I think you're right Tom it would have been fascinating you know to see I, I think he should have gone too to, uh, easy for us to say he, he's pretty sure on his own decisions I would have been fascinated to see had he gone to Man United what you know they would have probably dominated by more and we'd have, we'd have yeah. you know that, that, that wouldn't have been great for the competition but um, you know to do it for Blackburn Rovers is yeah, is true. a heck of a thing in itself. Yeah, lots of Newcastle fans screaming at their phones with their <laughs> headphones on at the moment. Very, very angry at me. But but what about Aguero then in general, Tom? You've you've spoken a lot about Henri, and I have to say I, I think I'm with you with Henri. There's just something right about enough, Thierry. Um, but um, what assets? You know, what, how great a player is Sergio Aguero? 
I mean, it's, I think Gregor made an interesting point earlier about that goal um, against Queen's Park Rangers to win the title. The bit about that goal that fascinates me is not so much the finish. It's that in that moment, he dropped the shoulder, I think, twice to beat two guys lunging at him. And it's like he knows, you know, you hear a lot of experts and former players talk about, you know, knowing in your head one one move ahead. To me, Aguero knows about three or four moves ahead. There was a goal he scored against Liverpool last season in the match they won 2-1, I think. Um, and he darted into the near post, basically trapped the ball dead to kind of bounce it back up again and then span and hit a shot straight into the roof of the net. And it happened in a split second. And you, I think he darted in front of Dejan Lovren, maybe. Um, and you just thought he knew exact that whole move when the ball was out wide. He knew everything that was about to happen. And to execute it, I think that's that's his um, that's what that's his greatest strength to me. I think it's just kind of psychology too, though. And you know, there's something about when you see a top top striker like that, and they look so, and it's balance as well. He kind of he plants his foot and gets the perfect strike on the football. And you see so many players, and Craig, I've done it myself. You're through in goal, and the rush of blood, and you're sort of almost falling over as you strike the ball. Or it's, does it come into your head then? I know, I know you were a defender, but in in those moments, does it does does yeah, it co- come into your mind? Completely different. You're, you're thinking, oh, anything else oh god, I'm running again. on goal. Oh god, oh god, oh god, yeah. what am I going to do? You should you should have seen me. You should have seen me playing in my vets team last week. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> within fifty yards of goal, yeah, feel the rush of blood. No, but I think yeah, that's. I think it is. It's that. It is that. Um, you know, we've seen it. Yeah, Michael Owen had it um, yeah. at, at, at his pomp. Obviously, that same that sort of yeah ability to keep cool, even mm. as you say, you're feeling that this is my moment. This yeah. is my moment. Yeah. And I think also, and that sometimes can take that coolness and and the the ability to sort of delay and and sort of slow down time. Other times, I think actually one of his great strengths has just been getting shots off quickly. Because mm. I think so many, you know, rather than allowing defenders or goalkeepers to set themselves. You know, the Brazilian Ronaldo used to do it all the time as well, almost toe poke it to, to, to get a shot off early because half the time defenders or particularly goalkeepers weren't expecting it. And if you just get, especially having the short back lift that Aguero seems seems to, just that ability to poke a shot mm. off, and it doesn't have to be a pretty shot, but if you get it off that fractionally fraction of a second quicker than is expected, that often is enough to make an ordinary shot go in. And is it just lastly on this? Is there something to be said uh, about the fact that he's dealt with competition? Gabriel Jesus obviously was brought in a few seasons ago as as the next best thing. Um, he didn't wilt because of that. He didn't urge to leave the club. He stuck at it. He was committed to the club. And actually, in some ways, he's become even a better player. Is there something that can be said about that mentality, that strength within him as well? Yeah, I mean, it, you're right, Jesus. He was almost kind of. We were speaking about him probably going to be eased out of the football club at that mm. stage with, with Guardiola as well yeah. didn't think it looked like he was going to fit into that that style of play and he's kind of he looks leaner he looks fitter he's adapted his game um, not, and sure about, not sure about the haircut mind you absolutely yeah <laughs> I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm in no position to talk about it I know but um, <laughs> the bleach blonde that I thought went out in about 1987 but um, anyway well, I don't know have you seen Ollie Murs recently it's coming back in obviously <laughs> I like it I think it's great <laughs> right Eddie Howe is second favourite behind Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to be the next Premier League manager sacked after Bournemouth were the latest side to fall to a resurgent Watford under Nigel Pearson. In his programme notes ahead of the game, Howe had stated that this match marks the start of a season-defining period for the club. It was, though, a tepid showing from Howe's men, full of mistakes, as Watford took full advantage to secure a 3-0 away win. It means Howe is in the worst run of his managerial career, Bournemouth having won only twice in the league since September the 20th. And their only good results during a long slump have been against Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United. That may sound good, but when you're at the bottom, you should be winning against those teams who are around you. So... Does anyone here think that Bournemouth should pull the plug now on Eddie Howe to survive potentially in the Premier League? Tom? Well, I mean, if if, if to survive in the Premier League, then you could argue yes. But it, it comes down to what what you want from your club. I mean, you look at Bournemouth and you look at Eddie Howe. If they did get relegate, relegated, he could keep the nucleus of that squad, turn them around and they'd get promoted again, maybe win the championship quite comfortably. But, you know, we're in this period now of knee-jerk reactions and I think it's an interesting time for Bournemouth to look at 
clubs over the last 10 years, people like Stoke, you know, with Tony Pulis, they'd been in the Premier League for a long time, had a way of playing that was quite effective, then had a season where they didn't start so well. And then they basically started, you know, chasing their tail by making appointments to survive, didn't work, eventually get relegated, and now they find themselves near the bottom of the championship. I'm not saying that would happen with with Bournemouth if they did sack Eddie Howe, but there is a there's a choice to be made, I think, between short term improvement, which mm-hmm. they might well get from bringing in a new manager. You know, we see it all the time, but whether that would actually last, because you then need to give a manager time to put his imprint on on the club. And it would take a long time because Eddie Howe's been at Bournemouth for such a long time. Mm. I, I personally wouldn't sack him, but if you're asking, sh- should you should you get rid in order to survive this season? I think you could make a case to do so. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people will refer to what's happened at Watford as a good case in point. You know, they they sacked two managers. Now they brought in Nigel Pearson, and they are going on a great run at, at the moment. But obviously Watford are a team, Matt, who are quite used to making change, whereas Bournemouth aren't, with Eddie Howe being the longest-serving Premier League manager who's been there since October 2012. Where do you sit on the situation? Um, Yeah, as you say, Watford is a different model. I mean, I think a a key thing would be sitting down with Eddie Howe himself and and, um, getting an honest answer about whether he thinks... Because I sat down with him at the end of... just after the end of last season. And I was just really struck by, you know, the players had all swanned off to... Las Vegas or wherever uh, the, the, the footballer goes these uh, footballer goes these days, but he was there in his office, debriefing all his staff, going through stats. You know, and I'm not saying he deserves a you know halo for this because it's what you'd expect from highly paid top flight managers. But he spoke then about you know he would he thought he would know when it was time to go because he would felt he walked onto the training pitch and didn't think he had anything left to teach them. And I'd be really surprised if he's gone from what sounded to me like a guy who was um, ready to to, to, to rebuild uh, Bournemouth again, to look at weaknesses of last season, work out how to, to improve on those um, and, and and to keep building. I'd be really surprised if he went from that, what to struck to me as someone who was as dedicated as ever to someone who has sort of lost their way. I mean, clearly some things are not working out. You know, Solan- the signing of Solanke struck me as a sort of, you know, shrewd move at the time. It's not looking that way. You know, they've dried up the goals. I think they're just the joint bottom scorers in the division. There's, there's, you know, there's clear problems here. But I just think, you know, Eddie Howe, provided Eddie Howe is coming to work feeling like he has still got something to teach them, I, I, I think it's, it would be daft to pull the trigger. I mean, I'm, I'm more surprised that actually clubs haven't come in for other clubs haven't come in for him than. Mm. You know, but that sort and, of has all dried up, hasn't it? That talk of Eddie Howe moving on. I mean, you know, there is a good managers can, you know, sort of spells can run out of steam. I mean, you know, for very different reasons at Spurs. We saw that Pochettino, I think, is a brilliant manager, but it almost felt like that regime had, you know, had run its course for lots of complicated reasons, including signings and, and politics and so on. Yeah, I, I did not start this season thinking the Eddie Howe regime at Bournemouth had had, had sort of reached reached a point of sort of sterility um, and uh, you know unless he thinks that I, I think they've got to stick with him I played against the, the Bournemouth team that he kept in the league against you know against all odds with the, with the points deduction I played against the team in League One as well where you know there's still some of these players playing the one thing you would say is that he's, he's had a kind of core of, of those players that have been on that journey and it feels very much like it's coming to the end for them mm. you know they're relying on Simon Francis at the moment who's turns 35 next month and just come back from an ACL. Steve Cook, he's probably the only one who's, you could see there's a bit of a future left. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Daniels is injured. There's not many of them left and they've been a kind of a foundation of of that club's journey. But Eddie, the journey is, has only happened because Eddie, Eddie Howe's mm-hmm. there. And they're not, I agree with Tom, you've got to think what you want from your, your club. Where are they going to find a progressive coach with such a love and connection to Bournemouth? Um, which is an important thing for fans as well, I think. Where they don't exist, so it's just whether Max and Denham, uh, Denham shares that belief or not. You know, he's. But, I agree as well. If 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 it's about staying in the Premier League, then there definitely is a case. And and what's happened with Nigel Pearson suggests that. But I think there's more important things than just staying in the Premier League. For but also, like yeah, they haven't. You know, he has transformed. I mean, you know, this is. They're almost two separate debates. First, the first is just acknowledging the amazing job he's done, and it is it is amazing, as you say. It took him over there, ninety first in the league. I think it's mm. was it eleven? That was eleven odd mm. years ago. 
you know, they've really, everything at that club has been transformed since then. The expectations, I mean, they're currently, again, which is why I'd, I didn't get the impression it was running out of, of steam. The, the new training ground that, you know, and he is involved in that down to, you know, choosing the colour of the paint and the, you know, the, the, the furnishings. I mean, it's, it's part, you know, that's one of the reasons why he in, has insisted, you know, he's not constantly looking at his phone wondering why Everton or someone else haven't been in for him because... He feels there is a job to do there beyond picking a team every Saturday. Mm. Um, you know, he has transformed it, absolutely. Gregor, I'm just interested in your point about you talking about the players and the two groups. If you're either the kind of core group with a manager who's been there for a while, is is it harder to kind of motivate or, you know, think, you know, this guy, he's been telling me his ideas for five years. Do you think that plays on... You know, gets gets in the players. No, that's not what I mean. I mean that the, there's a lot of new players coming, and these guys yeah. are the ones who. It's almost a bit like Leicester. They've had, you know, a group of players, and we've heard them spoke speaking about almost sort of telling the new players that are coming in about how the, the value of sort mm. of team spirit and and the journey that they've been on, which has been remarkable. And it's a similar thing that's happened at Bournemouth. So they're they're sort of edging out the door gradually. Means they're probably not quite as invested in the. In the kind of future of Bournemouth, yeah. and that could be something that, that that's playing on sort it of counts against. Yeah, but I mean, Matt, you know the you know powers of being football better than better than most of us. Money talks, doesn't it? That's the other thing. And you could argue, you know, the fear of dropping down to the Championship, not the Premier League money. That's that's where a lot of these short term fixes come. Isn't Absolutely, it? yeah. It's, it's fear more than more than logic. Yeah. Um, in, in most cases, it's yeah, it's it's panic. Um, and as I say, I'd, I'd, I think it would be, um, it, it hardly strikes you as, as as what Bournemouth have been built on mm. to panic. As you say, that doesn't mean to say, you know, Eddie Howe should not be under a huge amount of scrutiny. There's mm. not to say the question shouldn't be being, you know, actively asked in the in the boardroom there as, as here. Um, but I just think it's, um, you know, I think the sort of, the first big crisis of their, of their Premier League existence you know, does not strike me as the time to do it without, you know, um, giving it a, a, a bit longer yet, that's for sure. Just go back to what Matt said about his kind of work ethic. I, I spent a day at Bournemouth Training Ground a couple of years ago and, and watched them train and it was it was remarkable. I'd never seen such kind of detail and intensity. Him and all his staff went out like an hour before training was starting and they went through every drill and they'd maybe move a cone about six inches just such fine mm-hmm. detail about everything, and there was little things like kind of screens on the on the walls in the canteen, and every every game, every session, there would be a, a photo taken of the winning team, and that would be transferred. <laughs> so when you're eating your lunch afterwards, you have to stare at the winning winning team. <laughs> you know, little things about just sort of taking things on to kind of spur on the team and, and motivate them. He's always thinking. So I, I think if anyone is kind of working hard and find to find the reasons about how to make this better, it's him. And, and I wouldn't write them off yet either. Well, they are, what, two points off safety in 19th then in the relegation zone. Just a final word on Bournemouth. Bear in mind the form that they're in. Can any of you see, I mean, I know, Gregor, you said don't write them off just yet. Do you think they can turn it around? I think they can. I mean, we would have said that Watford were were down and out a a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, injuries have been a real real issue for them this year. David Brooks, Josh King in particular. Um, Callum Wilson just hasn't been scoring goals. Um, Chris Mepham's now out for for a, a, a considerable spell, so they have had a tough time with injuries this year. But I wouldn't write them off yet. I think they've got the capability to win to win enough games. And if the worst was to happen and they were to be relegated, would you th- suggest they still stick with him? Because history has shown Sean Dyche. Obviously, Burnley mm. were relegated a few seasons ago with him at the helm. He stayed at the club and then got them immediately back up again. Mm. I mean, I, that's yeah, that was my point. I think that you either. You either sack it, almost sack him now, yeah. or you, or you say, okay, well, this is your project. You know, the guys have talked in detail about everything he's given to the club and everything he's got prepared. But you then have to say, okay, well, if we do go down, then then we keep you and you have a season in the championship to try and get us back up. I think it's either you know sack him now, or or leave, or leave him for the next eighteen months. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. 
There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What a weekend we had in the championship before we, of course, have to talk about Brentford. Gregor, we're going to start with the top two, Leeds and West Brom, both dropping points this weekend, both on bad run of form. Surely Leeds can't blow it again this season. They can. I <laughs> um, yeah. should say they were beaten, obviously, weren't they, by Sheffield Wednesday? Yes. Yeah, 2-0. It, was, it wasn't a smashing grab either, although the, the goals both came, I think it was 87th and 94th minute. Mm-hmm. Wednesday did have some chances, but again, it was the same old story. Leeds have dominated, um, and their, shot, their, their, their record of taking chances and their shot conversion rate is just abysmal. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a look on Opta as well, actually, and I think 9.9% shot conversion rate which is the 16th in the championship so you know they dominate every metric <laughs> possession uh passing accuracy even even the number of shots they have they, they just but they, they don't have anyone to stick the ball in back in net and it was the same last season they were almost exactly the same numbers last season so unless that changes this month yeah then it's it's going to be tight i think um there's talk of jay adams from southampton they need someone else after eddie and ketty has uh, went back to Arsenal. He obviously couldn't dislodge Patrick Bamford, who who is who does a lot for the team, but he's not he's not been prolific for Leeds. He has been in the past, so you know I wouldn't write him off either. But I just think that unless that changes, nothing's going to change for Leeds. Oh, goodness me! Well, what about West Brom? Then they were held at the Valley by Charlton in the second meeting between the two sides in the space of a week. What's going wrong for them with their run of form? Uh, that's a bit harder to, to call, actually. I mean, similar to Leeds, they went on a really good run. I think Leeds won seven in a row and, and West Brom won six in a row. And now they've kind of, both of them have really, their form's fallen off the edge of a cliff. But I think the the key difference with them is they have they have the firepower. I think, you know, they've got strikers who can share the goals around. Um, Charlie Austin, Al Robson Canu, Matt Phillips, they're all on seven goals, which is not, you know, it's not prolific by any stretch, but the three of them are all scoring goals. <laughs> And it's this kind of different dynamic to last season when they relied upon Gio Rodriguez and, and Dwight Gale. Um I th- so I think they have got the they've got the firepower to, to stay the stay the distance. But Brentford are the ones that are kind of creeping up behind them and I see you getting excited yeah. now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I get a bit nervous just thinking about it, if I'm quite honest. Yeah, we were three one winners over QPR in the uh, final Derby, West London Derby to be played at Griffin Park in the early kickoff uh, on Saturday. It was all down to BMW once again. Even Rebel. scored an order. I know. <laughs> How handy is that? I know. Uh, it was a. It was a. It was a really entertaining game. If you're a Brentford fan, of course. Although I must give a little bit of credit to QPR because I thought they started the game really well, and I thought um, we're in for a game here. But as soon as we scored, they kind of fell apart. And defensively, QPR are very fragile. It seems easy to be nice when you've won. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. But still, I, I mean, I think that is one of the bigger problems for QPR defensively. They've been chipping quite a few well, goals as a QPR season ticket holder. It's. Um, uh, well, I guess it's never dull. It's either, <laughs> it's either six nil or feels like nil six. You know, they're they're. Mark Warburton's got a team playing, trying to play uh, some lovely football, um, some lovely ball players, Chair and Eze and so on. Mm. But um, they are just oddly, weirdly flimsy. As soon as a team starts to to sort of make them wobble, they don't just wobble; they they crumble defensively, um, mm. and it's something you just can't quite fix. Um, but yeah, it's not dull. The thing about the thing about Brentford, 
know, we're talking about the BMW roaring and all sorts, but they've now got the best defensive record in the league as yeah. well. So, you know, they're doing it at both ends, which is sort of a bit ominous, really, for the rest of the league, I think. So I think if there is one team to you're trying catch. your best to jinx them I can I see know, I don't like this talk <laughs> it's, diff- it's, it's, it's different to last season no, the last few seasons I think like, they've always finished in the top half they've always threatened mm-hmm. the, the playoffs they signed Janssen um, and Pinnock from from, yep. uh, from Barnsley, Barnsley as well yeah. um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Janssen I'll be honest I thought he was a liability at times for Leeds but he's been a leader that they've kind of lacked it's, it's so funny because I, I, when we signed him, obviously it was quite a coup and a lot of Brentford fans were delighted, a lot of Leeds fans were upset. But I just remember thinking, it's not all that. And exactly like you thought, yeah. I thought he had, he had rickets in him uh, every now and then. <laughs> but um, he has just brought an experience that yeah. we've lacked for a long time. It's a very time. young team, you know, they're yeah. all kind of early 20s. So, no, it does look pretty good for Brentford at the moment. Well, last week on the pod, we spoke about the teams that we would like to see go up. I obviously st- stood back from this one, Matt. But while you're here, can you give us who you'd like to see go up? Well, Queen's Park Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to accept that's um, over-ambitious. Um, well, I, I, was, uh, I got my sort of grounding in football uh, at Ellen Road. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, seven years old and went to my first four years of watching football um, as a Leeds fan um, oh. uh, before moving from the city. So I guess I guess um, I feel some, um, some little um, historic uh, alliance with them. So, yeah, I'd, and I think the Bielsa, Bielsa is one of, you know, I think we almost underestimate just how much he is one of football's most fascinating characters. You know, this is someone that Guardiola, Pochettino talk about with reverence, you know. Um, obviously, we've seen... His little sort of eccentricities, um, the self Spygate thing. And, well, he managed to go from Spygate to winning the Fair Play Award last year, <laughs> which is, you know, this is this is yeah. a, a guy who's a fascinating coach, fascinating character, um, and the lead story, you know, traced again that whole, you know, the sort of uh, almost reaching a Champions League final, then you know, plummeting through the divisions with financial mayhem. Um, yeah, I. I I think the lead story is um, is always been an interesting one, and I'm sorry, Brentford, for saying that. Not not West London it's rivalry all right. at all. In no, Lord, no, I don't, exactly. I'm, you're just bitter. Anyway, <laughs> we all also, and we don't want to see Fulham go up either. Do no, we, we definitely don't want to see Fulham go up. Definitely not. Right now, let's talk about um, an interesting incident that happened in Spain. The Atletico Madrid coach Diego Simeone said Federico Valverde's professional foul on Alvaro Morata on the Spanish Super Cup for Real Madrid, but refused to condemn the Uruguayan for his actions. Valverde was shown a straight red card in the 115th minute of the final after deliberately tripping Morata. And I think it's fair to say it's a definite deliberate foul anyway. <laughs> trip is polite. I think Trip sure. is very polite. Uh, hacked him down, yeah, should we say? Yeah, like it, when the Atletico striker was cleaned through. With the tie scoreless and only five minutes of extra time left, the goal then would likely have seen Atletico lift the trophy, but instead Real went on to claim the spoils with a 4-1 win on penalties. So, Diego Simeone says he hasn't done anything wrong. Do we find that astonishing that he actually came out and said what he said, Tom? I mean, it says a lot that it is Simeone himself. That's, that's the, this is, you know, this is this is kind of the kind of move he would have done, and mm. you know, walked off the pitch probably grinning from ear to ear. I mean, it's 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 also the kind of move that if a player on your team does it, he's a hero yeah. forever. Um, if it happens against you, there is you know you're so so enraged that you know. I, I mean, I'd have to probably take myself off to cool down and leave the stadium. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, and that you saw that in the reaction of the lot, lot of the Atletico players. Even though the referee sent him straight off, you know, Valverde was like head down. Yep, yeah, you know, took one for the team. I'll see you later. You know, there's so much rage in that moment. Yeah, I think if you were looking at it, taking out the fan passion bit, it's. It, I don't think it's great. Um, and I think there could be something done with this kind of a, you know, real cynical foul. Um, that could be looked at. I mean, this is a kind of straight red card one, but you see them quite a lot. I mean, I always remember Ander Herrera against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might have been Enray Chan, and you know, it was one of those classic um, United, I think, under Mourinho performances of about ten behind the ball, um, and you know, midfielder turned away from him, and Herrera just held on to his shirt. You know, it was like a kind of kid trying to stop his dad leaving for work because he wanted to play with him. He just like <laughs> ple- pleading with him to not to run away from him and got a yellow card I mean 
I think that you could easily argue for something to be done about that. Um, I have argued. I have argued for sin bins on on the. I mean, at least say at least this one gets a red card. I think, as you say, the the more annoying is you know if less dramatic is those yeah you know, the tactical fouls that we talk about so often and see are pretty much just par for the course for most teams yeah. now. Of you know, and what what is more exciting in football than a thrilling counter attack? And how many thrilling counter attacks have been, you know, strangled at birth by yeah. some tactical foul and I say I think I think there should you know there is a cause for looking at an orange card in those circumstances but um say at least this gets a red we're talking about that you know this this goes which and the reason it gets a red um as the oldest man in the room um (laughs) is because 1980 cup final um Paul Allen I'm pretty sure it is um youngest player I think ever to have played in a FA cup final at that point is through for West Ham and Willie Young comes uh, flying in and sizes him down, you know, no attempt or hope of playing the ball and, you know, gets up, gets a yellow card and, and on the game goes. And that was that was the point where football said, hang on a minute, um, there's no way that is appropriate mm. sanction. So, you know, they did upgrade it from yellow card to red card for the, the professional foul. Um, but yeah, if how you can do more than that is... is I mean, there's a grinning former pro who happened to be a defender <laughs> sitting at the other yes. end. Uh, Do anything similar, Gregor? Uh, look, when, before I say this, it, it was nowhere near as brutal. <laughs> yeah, this guy, right. this guy just yeah, volleyed yeah. him in the leg. So, But yeah, when I was uh, at Forest, I think it was in 2004, we played Sunderland at the City Ground just after Christmas. Uh, and it was 1-1, 80th minute, and we had a corner, um, which I was back for. And it got kind of half cleared, and, and Andy Reid controlled the ball, he was facing away from goal. So I pulled wide to kind of say, lay the ball to me and I'll stick it back in the box. He tried a Cruyff turn, lost the ball. I think it was Julio Arca set off uh, Chris Brown, big lump of a striker who Mick McCarthy loved. So I was hearing back after this guy. <laughs> um, and it got to about the D of the penalty area and I, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get the ball, but I, just, <laughs> I went for it anyway, slid in, uh, took him out. Straight red, and it was a free kick. And it was one of those you, you go back down the tunnel, and I kind of was peering over, and it was Arca taking a free kick, and he hit the bar. Oh, I was thinking, he's well known for set pieces, wasn't he? Look, so I'm back in the changing room, and then 90th minute, I hear the roar from the away end, and Marcus Stewart. Went oh, off so it wasn't even worth minute. it. It wasn't worth it. No, oh. but not dissimilarly to uh, Simeone, Mick Hartford, who's no shrinking violet either, was our oh. our sort of uh, caretaker manager then, and he came in and said. Did what you had to do. So, so, I mean, so, I so even, even though you'd lost, even no no, no teammates were like he was one on one with uh, through on goal. And if you know it, you take him out, you think you can defend for ten minutes. He thinks it was the kind of the better of yeah. You took one for the you know? teams, literally. Yeah, I mean, I was I was terrified. I thought I was going to get all sorts of abuse, but so yeah, no fine, nothing. The offer of a new deal, even. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that part of the problem, which you alluded to a little bit earlier on, Tom, in the fact that if it's if you're the fan of of that player who who makes the tackle yeah. and you, he wins the tackle, even though he's taken down the player, so he's fouled the opposition, you're there going, "Yeah, great tackle," you know, and you're there mm. even saying, "Take him out, take him out." That is that is part of the problem, isn't it? Our own I psyche. Think, yeah, I think so. You know, as Dicko said before, you know, the excitement of a counter attack. You have to, you lose all this in football, don't you? Because you become blindly partisan towards your mm. own team. But, you know, there was one, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as well as scoring loads of goals for Man United, there was a moment in the title race, I think in 98, against Newcastle, Rob Lee cleaned through at Old Trafford, won all, and Solskjaer sprinted back and just hacked him. And I think he, he'd only been on about five minutes, I think I checked, before he came on as a super sub to try and score the goal. And he got a standing ovation uh, from Old Trafford for taking a red card and they drew one all. And then the other the other one I think of which the one which comes even you know really close to the line in terms of um you know questionable decisions is the Suarez handball against Ghana in the World Cup. Um because I think Asamoah Gyan missed the penalty. Mm. And that's when Suarez had the moment you didn't have Gregor of being in the <laughs> tunnel and watching it and then cheering manically and he's like yes it was worth it. <laughs> so I you know it, do you give them a longer ban? It doesn't matter. It's a red trophy card. at stake, you know, and that was a, a final. It's kind of, I don't think it matters in the end. It's part of the game. Mm. I suppose the biggest issue as well is the fact that we call it tactical foul. Yeah. And it sounds like it's all right to do it. Mm. Does it not? Always has been, yeah. yeah. So, you know, 
I think really well, you, you can't go any further with the punishments unless it's unless it's really brutal. And this guy was brutal. I think if you know if this was <laughs> this was a league game, there was some force behind that. You know, he could have could have broken his leg. Yeah. But um, I think it's part of the game. It always has been. And just when you thought we might be able to do a podcast without talking about VAR, well, you'd be wrong. We have a Premier League player speaking out, claiming players do not want it in the league. That is West Ham midfielder Declan Rice, who made the claim after his side were denied a late equaliser at Sheffield United due to the ball hitting his arm in the build-up. This is what Rice said. I think they are the thoughts of every Premier League player, not just me. Pretty much everyone doesn't want VAR in the game. There have been so many decisions this season that have been absolutely crazy crazy they were celebrating VAR in reference to the Sheffield United fans like it was a goal and football should not be like that and we've discussed VAR a lot on this podcast but we appear to be left in a bit of a chicken or the egg scenario with it and the handball law the law regarding handball states any goal scored or created with the use of the hand or arm will be disallowed even if it is accidental and that's now led to many calling for IFAB to change the handball law so that a goal like West Ham's would have stood on Friday night. Are people right to be calling for a change in the handball law Matt? Um, well I certainly think it's a part you know it has to be discussed because you know it's it's been one of the consequences of VAR that obviously they're more detectable and and there's there's because of that, they've I've thought they were bringing in a greater clarity by having this sort of if it touches that the arm, it's it's ruled out, and so I, it was just, I can imagine at the time seemed like a logical move. I think that the trouble is that like this with this and with the um, a lot of the offside rulings, there is uh, the perception that VR is sort of taking you know ruling out lots of goals that would have stood, and that mm-hmm. it's sort of there's a joy killing perception to it. Um, I think that's harsh on VAR system because the VAR, you know, ultimately the, the the issue is more there with the rules and you know how how we are calibrating the rules. And I think you know I, I can understand that they they need to be looked at more. But I think to sort of use those frustrations as a proof that VAR is rubbish and that VAR has to be scrapped strikes me as as a sort of illogical um, way of, of 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 evolving the argument. If you want to change the rules, fine. But the idea that that makes VAR, say, um, the problem um, strikes me as crackers. I think we saw that in the interviews afterwards. That I thought the Sky Sports interview was very good. He kind of he gave both Rice and Moyes the opportunity mm. very clearly to sort of the, put a dividing line between VAR and the rule of handball, and neither took it. They just damned VAR by association, yeah, really. Yeah. And I think that is the overwhelming feeling, you know. As Ray said, kind of a lot of people are feeling very negatively about VAR, but it is the rule. That I, th- I thought that was very telling. Those inter- those interviews, they kind of Moyes. I, I thought Moyes would actually differentiate between the two, but he didn't. He just said that we need to kind of roll back on, on VAR, which is which is not the case. It's the rules. But it's a bit of a moment, isn't it, when a player speaks out? I mean, Matt, in, in your camp of pro VAR, when you're all sat around trying to think of ways to save it, <laughs> Maybe, well, me, me and me and Mike Riley. <laughs> is anyone is anyone else in the room? Yeah. I'm not sure. I think you've got a couple couple more uh, fans. But I mean, no, were you? Did you see that and think, well, you know, that because to me, when a when a when a current player speaks out so so prominently in this day and age, when fans can interact on social media and you know retweet and like and you know and all that kind of stuff. That's 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 quite a moment, isn't well, it? It is a moment, but like Gregor says, it's 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 not a necessary logic. You know, he's speaking no, in yeah. the emotion of it, and and not not you know. I mean, it's you know, never cease to be amazed how many you know players, coaches, whatever, don't even know the rules of the game. Well, this is, is the like, impression I, I got from these interviews. But I, I don't, you know, they were in the heat of the moment. He's very emotional about it, but it didn't seem like Rice understood the difference yeah. between. <laughs> and, and they know, you know, they're emotional and they know that, it, you know, to their fans it'll be, yeah, yeah, too right, you know, it's a disgrace, it's a, it's a disgrace. And it's fueling, you know, there's been, you know, and no one comes to football for calm logic perhaps, but that's, you know, it's been part of my argument the whole way through this is that has VAR got a chance because, you know, we we seem to come to football for to sort of, you know, howl out our frustrations and people don't seem to be, to have that little bit of patience to go, well, actually this does make the... The referee's life a bit easier, or it does make the, you know, the 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 game a little fairer or a little more accurate. People are just too busy going, 
you know. Um, we, we have a culture of screaming, disputing, raging about, about decisions. Mm. Does Rice have a point, though, with regards to when he says they were celebrating VAR like it was a goal and football should not be like that? But that's, you know, you go to other sports, you go to tennis, you know, there's a ball, you know, they're tracking the ball in Hawkeye and there's like the, you know, there's almost a build-up of excitement about it. It's the same with cricket and, you know, it becomes part of mm. the drama, which, you know, in football, can it become, you know, if it becomes part of the, the occasion, I mean, I said I don't see people necessarily complaining about that in pretty much every other sport in but, which technology but is isn't that used. part of the problem though because you know in cricket lbw decision you see the ball tracking go on it's either you know hitting the stumps or not tennis it's either in or it's out you know if you flashed up a handball thing you and i'd be sat there and i might go that's not handball and you'd go, well, it's definitely handball. But that's, you know, I know, that's, and I know that's that's your point about that's the law and that's not VAR. Well, that's where we're having to adjust but, to it. And again, also everyone is, you know, God, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of backing myself in because you know the system is, you know, go accept it's not pleasing a lot of people. But you know, equally, always, yeah, maybe I'll be saying this in ten years' time from now and shoot me if I am. But it does seem like no one's given themselves time to to readjust to a new system. I mean, maybe, mm. you know. All this stuff can be changed, or is being changed, or it requires a adjustment of perception, or 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 how we how we might, sit, you know. I don't think it ruins football. I think mm. it might just take us a little bit of time if we've got it to um, just to reacquaint ourselves with a different way of judging a few things, mm. or you know. But does anyone have time for that in football? <laughs> I mean, seeing what you know, those moments like David Moyes running off down in touchline. Or Man City last year when, when Sterling scored, I think it was against Liverpool and, and Guardiola. Spurs, Spurs on him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that was knees, a heck yeah. of a moment. People talk so, about it as a passion killer. That was amazing. So, yeah, that's moment. incredible. The only thing is when you see someone score and they're hesitant about celebrating, mm. that's that feels wrong. That feels like something has been taken away from the game there. And they're not that often, but there has been instances. You know, I think Johnny Evans scored at the weekend and he mm. kind of knew that he was half a yard offside. And he's going to run off. People were trying to celebrate. And he's like, I think we need to wait and check here. So I'm not sure about that. That's kind of... I think really we've just got to balance up between having... <laughs> knowing that you've got that kind of... That joy. And knowing that you're going to get closer to the right decisions. And we're on a journey with it. It's not... Well, exactly. And it's a journey that is going to get, you know... Um, there may um, be something in the paper, um, hopefully in the next day or three about about this about how we potentially can make um things quicker because you know that's again we're we're you know in the great scheme of things we're still pretty early days with all this and you know technology is moving all the time are there ways of 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 automating systems better that that can make it all quicker i'm i'm all for that i'm all for improving this I, i'm not sitting here thinking even as someone who thinks you know we we've got to stick with it i'm not here thinking it's perfect or can't be amended and improved a heck of a lot from here. Well, VAR did have its say in the big game of the weekend at Spurs. Uh, Andy Robertson followed through heavily on uh, Jaffet Tanganga in Liverpool's 1-0 win and fans think uh, he was lucky to escape a red car. Robertson planted his studs on Tanganga's ankle and despite winning the ball, his boot was high and fans were shocked that the incident wasn't reviewed by VAR. Uh, obviously, you had Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, being sent off for some saying similar situation in the game at Crystal Palace anyone surprised uh, this incident involving Robertson not being red carded well, I think it was the right decision yeah not yeah. a red card for you no I mean he, he won the ball and there was no way of, of winning the ball without without and then stopping completely abruptly and not making contact with you know yes, he's, yes you can see it's dangerous and slightly reckless but that's the only way he could win the ball I think um so it wasn't a red card for me. And the thing that, you know, there was a lot of images doing the rounds on social media of the still frame mm. of his studs planted on his on uh, on the sports player's shin. But that, you know, it's completely out of context. And, and that's the thing that, that is one thing that VR is perhaps doing as well. It's slightly altering our perception of certain aspects of the game because when you watch, look, look at things back, it looks very different. Uh, but I think they got, they got the right decision there. So that wasn't a red card for you. Um, speaking of Tottenham against Liverpool, Tom, um, were you surprised Mourinho didn't manage to spoil Liverpool's day? The reason I mention that is because of this prediction that you made on Thursday. I'm a bit of a romantic, but is there <laughs> anything more Jose Mourinho 
than beating Liverpool in this game <laughs> without Harry Kane. I could see a Tottenham, even like a 2-1, two, 2-0 two, two win, it's set up for Mourinho to produce an upset that would stop, you know, Liverpool ticking that box of a season unbeaten. You know, it, it's it, it's just, it's made for him, I think. Yeah, that worked out. All right, all right, yeah. Get the sports editor on the podcast <laughs> and embarrass him. I see, I see. Well, look, you know, it was only 1-0 for a start. Mm-hmm, true. They played very well in the second half, I thought. And you can't, you know... That's the only way to beat Liverpool, I think, at the minute. They're, they're so good. And I think Liverpool are a team that if you go at them and try and play them at their own game, they're going to absolutely destroy you. I mean, I not not one to try and defend myself with statistics, but that's exactly what I'm about to do. <laughs> the only team that have come close to beating Liverpool this season is Manchester United at home. 32% possession, two shots on target. Marcus Rashford manages to score one of them. They nearly hung on to win 1-0. Spurs v Liverpool, 33% possession, four shots on target. Only downside was that they conceded first. They also let Liverpool make almost 800 passes, <laughs> which is the most at White Hart Lane, I think, ever. So it's quite a chastening uh, shift for, for Spurs from, from the Pochettino era mm. to the Mourinho era already. Um, I'm not sure how long the Spurs fans will be happy with that if, if they're not getting results. Yeah. Um, want to give us a, a bold prediction for this week, Tom? Um, I mean, this is almost certainly going to be wrong as well, but given how bad the first leg was between Manchester United and Wolves, <laughs> I'll say that the replay will involve a couple of goals and that Man United might even win, which I think counts oh. as a shock these days, doesn't it? Man yeah. United beating Wolves. Right. Um, so, you know, that's almost certainly a Kind three. of sound like you're sitting on the fence a little bit with that one. Though. <laughs> All right, 4-0 Man United. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we, wait, we will wait to see if that happens. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Matt Dickinson and Tom Clark. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday. game is brought to you by the times for more information and more podcasts from the times head to thetimes.co.uk the train is now approaching junction at platform passengers airport please stay on board next stop road station ios helps you control which apps you share your exact location with there's more to iphone Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.